welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, February the 9th, 2022, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today, we want to talk about marriage and adoption. And really, in some regards, we want to talk about marriage because marriage is foundational to your family. And no matter if you've decided to grow your family or start your family through adoption, it all starts with a good, healthy marriage. And one of the things that we're going to do is actually walk through a session that Dr. Rick does for our training session for all of our adoptive parents called Rooted in Love. And Dr. Rick does a fantastic job training and speaking and touching to the heart and the root of marriage because our marriages will be attacked as we grow our families. Our marriages uh, will become more vulnerable and we need to make sure that we are rooted and grounded in the love of God and loving first and foremost our partner, our spouse, as we uh, begin to to launch our family. And so I know that you will be excited to hear some of these points and this great wisdom from the venerable Dr. Rick, uh, who obviously uh, our team gets to benefit from his continued wisdom, expertise, uh, and training. But before we bring on Dr. Rick, I want to remind you about Fostering Hope. Fostering Hope is a program that's for the church. And many times the most difficult aspect of foster care is knowing how to get involved. But Lifeline wants to take away the guesswork of engaging your church to display the gospel to vulnerable children and families in your community. So we can help your church hosting a training class, supporting foster families in your congregation, helping at-risk families in your community, and so much more. If you will visit lifelinechild.org backslash fostering hope. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash fostering hope or see our show notes for more information on how your church can take steps to get involved. Everything from hosting a training class to supporting foster families in your congregation. We want to help you with Fostering Hope. Well, it's that time of the podcast that everyone always looks forward to. It's the time that we get to bring in Dr. Rick and I feel like if we had a mixing board, this would be the time that we would have the cheers coming on as Dr. Rick comes. But but in all seriousness, Dr. Rick, I, I think uh, I don't exaggerate at all by saying that one of the highest ranked uh, times of Rooted in Love is this talk that you do on marriage. And so we wanted to bring some of those aspects in. And I know you want to also just have a conversation about marriage, yeah. why it's so important. Yeah. You know, Herbie, I, I think even, you know, kind of go back and when we were framing up Rooted in Love a few years ago and, and really talking about what we would do in pre-adoptive education and bringing families together for, um, you know, for a weekend to really think intentionally about um, our families and our parenting and our discipleship of our kids. Um, one of the early conversations that we had about that was the fact that we wanted to do something um, where we were spending some time really focusing on marriage. And, and I know, um, you know, you were a big part of that conversation as well as we, you know, really started to talk about kind of what we were going to, you know, what we wanted to highlight for our families and how we wanted to, you know, how we wanted to help to serve the families that the, that the Lord's brought to us and, and just coming from a conviction that, um, that ultimately, um, strong marriages are um, are an important part of family. Our you know our child raising and 
child rearing and all of that, that, um, and that, and that one of the things that perhaps is, is, um, sort of difficult to see and sometimes misaligned in our culture is that when, when we begin to, um, have children, you know, in our family and in our home, whether they come, whether they come home through adoption or, or, you know, biologically that, that there's sort of a message that gets sent that then everything in our homes begins to be about and sort of revolve around our, our kids. And, and I think we, you know, we've kind of honestly really seen that, that, that can, that can even be more true of adoptive families who have, um, you know, a lot of challenges and a lot of ground to make up with their kids and a lot of, um, a lot of difficulty in, um, in, in trying to become a family and, and really settle in that, that the tendency is that, you know, we, we focus more and more on the needs of our kids and, and making sure that they're served well and they're helped well. And, and sometimes we kind of, you know, forget about our, our marriage or, or, you know, or that has, you know, less importance. And, and I know, you know, you and I've talked a lot uh, offline and, and in, you know, in other settings about how, how important, but also how challenging it can be at times to, um, you know, really to, to keep that vibrancy in our marriages when, um, when we're running in so many different directions and because, and when our kids have so many needs. And so, yeah, so that's really kind of what, you know, what this is really all about. And, um, I'm, I'm not really smart enough to do anything other than go to the Bible and you know, really kind of look at God's word as the place to, um, to draw from as, as far as those things that we would say about marriage. And so, um, really just want to take a couple of minutes and, and kind of look at some, some principles about, um, out of Ephesians five and what Paul has to say about marriage, uh, because, um, and quite frankly, it's a passage that sometimes, um, pastors avoid, or they try to soft pedal or whatever, cause there's some, there's some things in it that are pretty challenging to us. And they really kind of challenge and sort of fly in the face of, you know, of, of modern wisdom. But, um, you know, the first thing I think that we find in, uh, in that passage in, in Ephesians chapter five is that, um, that God ultimately has created marriage because, because he intends for us to flourish, right? Like we, um, it, marriage is, is, a, is about creating a relationship for us and, and creating a, a relationship of intimacy that, um, that, that God has gifted to us. And, and yet, you know, I think sometimes in the middle of our culture, we get any message except that, right? Like we, we get this, we get the marriage, you know, the message that, that marriage is, you know, something that like your life is over when you, you know, when you, when you get married, but Paul um, has some really completely different things to say about that. And he, he's talking about in, in Ephesians five, he's actually talking about the church, but he goes back and forth talking about Jesus and the church and us as husband and wife and talks about the kind of the responsibilities and the roles of each other, but he really kind of uses them interchangeably. And so one of the things that he says about Jesus um, is, is really true. I think of, of what we're supposed to find in marriage. And so he talks about this idea that, you know, husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church and 
gave him out, gave himself up for her. And then he talks about this, the role of sanctification. And he says, but like, what's the purpose in all this? And ultimately he says it so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or, or any such thing uh, that she might be holy and without blemish. And, you know, just kind of extending that to what we, what we know about marriage, that our responsibility to each other in the body of Christ in general is to present one another complete in Christ. Like we're supposed to be a part of each other's discipleship and, and we're supposed to be a part of each other's following of Jesus. And, and in like, that's most true of the marriage relationship because that should be the, the closest, most intimate, most open, most truthful, you know, most least guarded relationship that we have in our lives. And, and, um, and, and yet, um, if you turn on the television or you start to watch movies or you look at the way that marriage is talked about in our culture, again, as I said, it's the, it's the, it's the exact opposite. You know, it's like, oh, your life's over now because, you know, you're going to be married. It's, um, you know, the, the movies about, um, you know, bachelor parties and bachelorette parties and all those kind of things. It's like, you know, one last gasp before your life is over. And I think ultimately God is saying that, um, that, that marriage is not about your life being over. It's about a, a, a brand new deepening context of a way that you can know him and really, you know, experience joy. Um, but, but then I, I think the, the, but the question maybe it comes to mind at that point is then like, how, <laughs> how do, how do we do that? How do we live in such a way in our marriage relationship that we really, you know, we really help each other flourish and, and, and like, what does it mean to, um, to, to, to set your, your spouse up to, um, you know, to flourish in, in the Lord. And so, um, so I'm going to kind of pose that question to you, Herbie, like what, as, as you th think about that and as, you know, as you and Ashley have tried to work that out, even in your own home and, and as you've, you know, taught other couples and walked with other couples and all those kind of things, what, how, like, what would you say about the context of what, like, how do you do that? How, how, how do you be intentional about helping each other flourish? Yeah. <clears throat> well, and, and certainly to what you've said, uh, anything I say is not because I do a fantastic 100% <laughs> job at it, but more even from my failures uh, as much or more than my any successes. You know, I think the, the first thing that has been huge for us is the passage that was not even necessarily um, to husband and wife, but, but to believers which I think is so important for us is to live in an understanding way with each other. Um, you know, not to, to give each other the benefit of the doubt. I think so many times we're quick to look at our own paradigm. We're quick to look things through our own filter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at least for me, uh, I know I'm, I'm probably quicker to be a problem solver quicker to try to make things right when really my wife is just wanting to be heard. And so in order for her growth in Christ and even her flourishing, sometimes she just needs to be heard. Mm. Um, and, and she needs to, sometimes it's not just even being heard. Sometimes she needs to flesh out what she's thinking so that 
she can she can really be able to even put it in perspective and so that she can just kind of flesh some things out. Um, you know, I, I, I also, I think again, where my failures are and where I've learned, not only am I a problem solver, I, I am naturally a protector. Mm. And I know, for instance, my daughters laugh and we're, even when we're on a walk in the neighborhood, if they end up on the side of me, that's closer to the street, I instinctively go to that side and push them in so that mm-hmm. if something comes, I'm going to be closest to it. You know, and sometimes I think I tried to protect my wife um, almost a little too much. So when she's experiencing emotion, uh, I, I, sometimes I'll even lash back and be like, I want to go and, you know, I'm going to take care mm-hmm. of this person or, or I'll, in my sin, I'll resort to name calling of the person that's hurt her. And again, what I've seen with my wife is sometimes when I overreact either through a protective or a problem solving, it actually shuts her down from being able to share her heart, her mind, what's on her soul. And so, you know, I, I think again, living in an understandable way where we're listening to one another, we're caring for one another. And then I know it's trite, but praying with one another and for mm-hmm. one another uh, is so important. And and I would say even, and I, and I don't want to sound or say something that would be an anathema, but I think even more important at times than praying together is be praying for one another and also mm-hmm. praying for ourselves in our relationship. So asking the Lord to guard us from weak spots that we know or tendencies that we have, uh, praying for our spouse. Yes, it's it's abundantly important that we pray together. But I think the times we spend together praying are not going to be anywhere near as fruitful if we're not praying for one another. You know, and in that, um, I think in a sincere way, I know that communicating to your spouse that you are praying for them. Uh, I, I Again, failures here. I, I have prayed and wrestled in prayer with and for, or for my wife and not shared it with her. Mm-hmm. And while certainly it's not a, it, the communication is between me and the Lord and the Lord's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, I think it encourages her heart and her trust even for her to see, Hey, you've been praying this for me. And now I'm seeing that answer to prayer. And so, I mean, even just something very simple, you know, my wife has struggled with health problems really for the, for the lion's share of our marriage with Lyme disease. And I, I've, recently even the Lord has pricked upon my heart to pray some specific things on her behalf. Mm. Um, and I was able to share, I did end up sharing those with her and it was really kind of neat because then the way the Lord worked, because literally within the next few days, the Lord started answering those prayers that I was praying for her Mm. and it helped her feel loved, nurtured, cared for, but it also spurred along her faith because Mm -hmm. she saw what the Lord was doing in response to the way we were praying and I was praying and she knew I was praying because I was telling her. So I think all of those spur us on because any type of personal growth we have, spiritual, emotional growth we have, obviously is going to be rooted in God's word. It's going to be rooted in the Holy Spirit. And so I think anytime we can pray for our spouse and let them know we're praying for them 
and join in with them those things that we are praying for them. Again, it stretches them, grows their faith, and and ultimately grows our relationship. Yeah, you know, I think I think the big lie that we that we hear often is that there's there's this idea that there's more satisfaction outside of marriage, right? And and it's that's just that's just the same lie that Satan's been, you know, has been uh, pandering since the you know since the garden. You know, what did, what did he say to Adam and Eve? Essentially, what he said was there, you know, there's satisfaction outside of a relationship with God and caused Adam and Eve to rebel and do something to step outside of a, of a relationship to, to find something more. And, and this idea, you know, the, this idea of human flourishing is God's given you this, this beloved person who you get the privilege to know and journey with and, 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 you know, share your whole heart with and all that. And, and then, I mean, I think Satan tempts us by saying, look, like there's, there's something more satisfying out there than that. When, when in reality, I mean, the kind of things that you're talking about there, even in, you know, in, in praying for each other and, and praying with each other and, and pressing into those things at, at the end of the day, those things are much more satisfying. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the Lord knows that. And so that's kind of, you know, why he's given it to us. I, I think, you know, another one of those lies kind of comes out of this passage as well. And it's that Paul says something that culturally is a little hard for us to take and, and, and hard for us to figure out what to do with. But you know, in verse 22, he says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, um, and is himself its savior. And, and then, but then he goes on to say to, to husbands in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up, gave himself up for her um, and talks about the responsibility of what, you know, what it is that a husband is supposed to do in loving sacrificially and in, in, in giving himself and devoting himself to his wife and, and her, you know, her walk as a, as a believer being submitted to the Lord, you know, fully and, and that, that, that ultimately there's this, there's this truth in verse 28 that Paul, you know, lays out to say like our, ultimately our responsibility as husbands is, is to love our, love our wives um, as, you know, as much as we love ourselves to protect our wives as much as we would want to, you know, protect ourselves. But, um, but, but I think, I think that's been, that's been sort of bent around in many conversations to say that, that this is somehow um, like, less, less value. Like we're like, if you live in this way in, in, in your relationship and marriage, then, then there's an inequity and we're not, you know, we're not really valuing it, each other equally and, and those sorts of things. And, and I think, I really don't think this is the Bible's gotcha verse. I think what it, what it is, is, is it's a, it's an extension of what Paul said in the chapter before in verse 21, where he talks about this whole, graceful way of living and all these things that we're supposed to do to prefer one another. And then he says um, that how we do that, why we do that in the body of Christ is um, he says, we do that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, that, that we love other people um, because, because we love Jesus and we love sacrificially with the, with the same kind of love that Jesus, you know, loved with um, that, thing that Paul says over in Philippians two about have the, have this, have the mind of Christ. 
and, and talks about the sacrificial love of Christ stepping out of the comfort of heaven and, you know, kind of walking in the middle of our difficulty and our mess. And, and that, and I think this is a reminder to us that, that there is a, there's ultimately a mutual submission that happens in marriage um, as much as there's, you know, figuring out how to live in the roles of marriage. And so, but the mutual submission is ultimately to Jesus, <laughs> like the, the point, like the, the, like who we are in, in our marriage is, is ultimately because, because we're looking at our spouse and we're treating them through the lens of who Jesus is and, and, and straining to, you know, to be, you know, more like Christ. And, and so, you know, I say this, I think every time that we, that we do this in rooted, but, um, you know, this verse in many cases has been sort of taken out of context and been used for, you know, for husbands to act in a domineering way toward their wife. And if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. Um, but I think it also has been, you know, we, we sort of interpret around it and, and sort of take that, um, my big fat Greek wedding sort of approach to say that the husband may be the head, but the wife is the neck. And, and to say, no, that's not it either that wives, if you're, you know, like if you're living in relationship with your husband and you're manipulating him, then, you know, you're doing it wrong. And, and I, I think for us, we, um, you know, like it took a long time to learn that and we're still learning it and we're still, you know, we're still struggling in that. But I, I think, um, one of the most powerful stories that I have regarding adoption was our, our getting to adoption and, and the fact that Denise and I were not on the same page. And, and so, um, she began to sense the Lord moving and, 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 and really thought that adoption was something we needed to consider. And I didn't really think so. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but, but her example was not to, not to continue to push the conversation, not to, you know, not to, to try to think up arguments to, you know, be able to, you know, to blunt my, um, reluctance, her, like her answer was just to pray and, and to seek the Lord and to trust the Lord and, and to say, ultimately, if God had placed that in her heart, she trusted that, um, you know, that, that God would take care of that and, and place that in, in my heart. And, and so she really, you know, modeled the persistent widow. And, and I think in that, that was, you know, was that, was that subjection to me? No, I think ultimately what she was doing is she was being subject to the Lord and, and there was a sense in which because she believed the scriptures and because she believed this scripture in, in Ephesians, um, she wasn't going to try to run and do something without me because, because she understood that there were, there were roles that we have and there's a way that we relate to each other because of, because of how the Bible presents that. And, and, and I think um, that, that often what happens in, in marriage, particularly in, in settings where sometimes we're walking through some really difficult stuff and adoption um, that, that we find ourselves, um, you know, sometimes jockeying for position to try to get our own way. <laughs> when in reality, um, what we need to be really trying to do is, is to figure out how to, how to serve each other and, and how to, you know, how to prefer one another and, and ultimately to, you know, trust the Lord to, to lead us. Third, third thing that we kind of always talk about, and I think is 
packed into this verse is this idea that marriage is not just about mutual submission, but it's about, you know, harmonizing roles. Like there are, there are different roles in marriage to, um, you know, for, for men and women to play. Um, I mean, think about the fact that like, if it, if it weren't for marriage, most of us as men, I can't speak for women, but most of us as men would be living a fraternity house existence. <laughs> You know, and and just think about how miserable that would kind of be for, you know, for life. And and so um, that part of what we get to do is is we get to we really get to exercise this intimacy of really kind of dropping our guard and and being fully devoted and and kind of fully open to, you know, to another person Um and that, and that I think one of the things you grow to in marriage after a while, when you're, when you're journeying together and you're journeying toward Jesus is just like figuring out how, how incomplete you are, right? Like figuring out how much you need, um, you know, how much you need your spouse and about how, um, you know, how you, how you complement each other in, in the roles that you find yourselves in self in, you know, well, like, man, what are the, it, like, is, if you reflect on that, on that truth, like maybe practically like what are some things that you figured out about yourself that you're going man if i didn't have ashley i'd be lousy at this or like this part of my life would be incomplete as you know as a result of of trying you know journeying by myself yeah and i mean i you know to be honest and and not to be sappy but after 20 years of marriage we really even at this point and I, again, not perfectly, but but certainly see so much completion that in some regards, you forget where one person's strengths begin and one person's strengths end yep. because you're so used to harmonizing and working together. You know, um, you know, I, we definitely thrive in different scenarios, um, you know, when it comes to coming into like a small group at church. That's my wife. It's much easier for her to go in and work the room and to, to get acclimated. Uh, I'm much more likely to go put me in the front of the room and just let me teach. Like I can do that. Uh, and I, I think on a funny, simple thing is, and you know, this from firsthand, Dr. Rick, um, my wife is probably one of the best copy editors that I know. And mm-hmm. even better than that, she knows how to take something that I've written which she would admit, I can never even begin to think to put that on the paper. I can think it, but sometimes she can go and say, I can rephrase that in a better way. Mm-hmm. She couldn't have come up with it to put it down on the paper like I did, but I, I needed help to say, how do we sharpen this to make it where people can understand it? And, you know, again, that's a simple analogy, but I think in life, that's a lot of the ways that, that we work. Um, you know, a lot of times, even with discipline, with our children, I'm the one that kind of takes the first step. And she's the one who really, honestly, a lot of times the one that the Lord uses to, to reach their heart. I bring the concept. Mm-hmm. She kind of takes it the rest of the way and reaches their heart. And so again, I'm not, I could give so many reasons and I don't want to take a cop out to say there's not, except really there's so many ways now that we complete each other and not in some romantic way, but just in a partnership type of way that 
that I couldn't imagine, you know, being able to do things. And our agreement, I say agreement, the, the way we've always worked is we even finish what someone started. So as simple as if, if it's a grill night and I've, I've been doing the lion's share of the dinner, she just naturally cleans up. And on most times she's the one that's done the lion's share and I clean up and lead the kids mm-hmm. to clean up. So, you know, I, it's the type of thing that, that really, even like Ecclesiastes says, you know, two are better than one. Obviously, a three-chord strand is not easily broken. When there's two united in Christ, with Christ helping them through their times of difficulty, getting them through those times of uh, of conflict, two are better than one. Um, and and they complete each other. They make the they make the the load so much easier. And uh, just like you said with with Mrs. Big Shot, there's so many different things that Ashley has led us in because the Lord has, has pricked her heart to take us there. And, and I've, I've followed her. And I guess too, I loved what you said a minute ago about equal submission. You know, as I've read Ephesians chapter five, I know you and I've talked about this and agree. I don't think Paul was necessarily even looking at, Hey wife, your, your job is to submit and husband, your job is to lead and love, but really both. And, Mm -hmm. and, Hey, ultimately, the marriage I'm talking about, the husband is so utterly submitted to Christ, right? That he, any way he would lead his wife, is not leading his wife to his idea, to his ways, or to some type of of, of utter masculine headship. But he's mm-hmm. actually so submitted and leading towards Christ that it is glad submission by the wife because she's not submitting to a human authority. She's actually being encouraged to submit to Christ. So really it's, it's equal submission to Christ and the leadership of the husband as the head is to say, I'm going to lead our family to submission in Christ so that the submission of the wife is going, I'm submitting to you by submitting to Christ. Yep. You know, and I think, I think when we talk about particularly this in terms of adoption and, and adoptive families is there's a reality um, through some of what we do. I mean, we bring in many cases, a child who has, you know, a history and experiences and, and, and all that. And, 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 and those things that impact the way that our children live and behave and even, you know, respond to us and, and so it's not uncommon, uh, particularly in adopting kids internationally and, and bringing older kids into our homes, especially where um, where our kids may come, where they have pre-wired a little bit of fear of one of us or a little bit of preference for one of us. And and if you're if if your marriage is kind of built on this idea of there's a little bit of a competitive spirit in it, and it's kind of anything you can do, I can do better sort of thing, then like you you can be very bruised. And I think it can be very, it can be very difficult to say, Hey, this, you know, we've created this perfect scenario in our mind of what it's going to look like to parent a child. And then, and then that child doesn't want to have anything to do with you or struggles to relate to you in the way that you want to be related to. And, and it can sometimes rob the joy because because that child doesn't relate to our spouse the same way. And so they sort of, you know, cling to one and, and, and sort of avoid the other and, and those kind of things. And, 
And I think that's one of those things where there can kind of be a wedge drawn, you know, kind of driven in our relationship. But if we see the fact that we're there to complement one another and we're like, we're really in this together and, and part of the joy of it is being able to serve each other in the context of, of that relationship. It really does kind of hold us accountable to, um, to not allowing those, you know, kind of emotional and, and, and mental wedges to be driven in, you know, in a relationship. I, I think the final thing, and I mean, we've said this all over, but Paul says it really specifically. And I think he points it out in a way that he wants to make sure that we don't miss it. Um, is that that ultimately the goal of our marriage above all else is to exalt Christ? Um, that the whole reason that we have an opportunity to to be married and and to live in marriage is because everything that we do with each other is all about giving a you know giving a word picture or or giving a, a an object lesson of. Christ and his church. And it's about, you know, pointing people to Jesus. And so when he says this mystery is profound and I, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church, but then he turns right around and, and does a 180 and says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He's basically saying like this order and this thing that happens in this relationship um, is different than any other relationship that you have in your life. You know, Like Christ didn't, the world isn't supposed to be able to see Jesus in your accountability relationship with your buddies. (laughs) You know, God didn't, God isn't, isn't like put on display. The relationship between Christ and his church isn't, it isn't even put on display in, in your relationship with your children, not as fully as it is in this one relationship. And so, and so the idea that we, you know, that like we, that we're willing to, work hard and we're, we're willing to press in with each other and, and we're willing to, you know, to, 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 to strive in the face of sometimes relationships that are, that are hard. Um, like, why do we do that? But we, we do that not just because we love our husband or we love our wife. That's true. But we do it because we love Jesus and that and that Christ has given us this person and has given us the opportunity to, to learn about, um, you know, relationship and intimacy and, and all that. And, you know, and, and then I think the kind of the big idea in this is, and and especially as we think about it in terms of, of adoptive families, um, like Satan didn't want any of this stuff to happen. (laughs) You know, John 10, 10, um, we, we, you know, we kind of draw that idea of abundance in marriage from John 10, 10 that, um, you know, and, and, Jesus said the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but, but I'm come that they might have life abundantly. Well, you know, part of the abundant life is marriage, but we also know that we have an adversary who's very active around us and who's, who's very active in, in tempting us, who, who is, whose desire is to, to steal and to kill and to break and to fracture and to, and to like make, um, make miserable and, and make terrible. And, and, and so, so like, what do we do in that? Well, I think what we do is, is acknowledge that, that there are, there are soft spots that happen in every marriage. There are things that are, that are, that are likely openness for us to, to, 
to be a, you know, for us to be attacked and for us to, for us to get crossways with each other and for us to find difficulty and, and that will do things to cause us to think about finding satisfaction outside of a marriage or think that it's better, it's better out of this relationship than it is in it. And that adoption somehow kind of, you know, magnifies that. Um, and, and so, you know, I would say as an adoptive family, one of the things that you, you know, you realize is that you're that some of the soft spots that you can kind of expect and maybe you've faced is a degree of public scrutiny that other families don't live up to. People think because of the way you built your family that that there's somehow like that that you sharing more than you should about your kids history or about the things that are that are going on in your family as a result of building your family by adoption that somehow people feel like that that is that's something that they're entitled to and and that can kind of get old and it can kind of wear on you know wear on each of you and that and and what we end up doing many times is we don't take that stuff out on the people that ask or the people that are being intrusive we end up taking it out on each other um, because because we're 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 enough into politeness and pleasantry that we that we don't you know we don't lash out in public but we end up lashing out in private um, you know we're tired um, <laughs> this is hard and 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 sometimes we're not our you know we're not our best when we're tired um, and so therefore we end up kind of building up resentment and and things um, you know we're called upon to be accessible to our children in ways that are not necessarily completely conventional and completely normal. And I think those are also things that, um, you know, I've told the story um, probably every rooted that we've ever had about the, the point at which a psychologist looked at us with our, with our seven-year-old who had just come home from, uh, from Eastern Europe and, and told us that, um, that he was, he was really struggling with anxiety and, and really struggling with um, like everything was kind of hinging on this, this kind of overpowering anxiety. And there was a lot of really difficult behavior. And so she looked at us and she said, you know, I think you really need to try co-sleeping. And I just kind of laughed like, <laughs> Hey, I thought you said, surely you didn't say, but I thought you said co-sleeping. And what that sounds like is that you're saying like, we all need to sleep together. She wasn't laughing <laughs> and, and she was like, she was dead serious. And she said, like, I think that there's, there's a deep enough trust issue there that one of the things that he needs to, he needs to see is he needs to be able to wake up and see that you guys are there and to, you know, kind of, kind of live through some of that, you know, nurturing that he didn't have and, you know, in the past. And, and we sort of modified that and said, okay, well, we'll bring a twin bed in and kind of push it up next to our bed. And, you know, but for, for a while, like we were, it was like the three of us. And that was the, you know, that's like the inner sanctum. Like that was the line that we weren't going to cross, you know, with our kids and, and, you know, and there we were crossing it and, and, and you'll find those kind of lines in, you know, sometimes in decision-making or in finances or whatever. And, and, and the truth is that, um, that Satan will use those things in order to kind of place ourselves at, at enmity with each other. I think, you know, Herbie, I think one of the things that, um, that really kind of this gets down to as well is, um, one of the places that I think we see where we're 
couples sometimes tend to struggle, it's at the communication level. Like it's kind of at that level of, of really, you know, really being able to, um, to communicate. And, and some of that is because through kind of the cares of life and the pace of life, um, we've kind of, we've kind of forgotten how to communicate well. And, and so, um, and so we, we get really good at things like who's going to pick up the kids and, you know, how, how are we going to pay this bill or which, you know, like when do we pay this bill or whatever, or, or those administrative kind of communications, we get, we get really good at talking about things that don't matter, or we get really good at talking about the things that are difficult and crises in our lives, but we forget to do that kind of life-giving communication, that stuff that, um, you know, really like that we, um, the stuff that we, we probably talked a whole lot more about uh, when we were dating, <laughs> like our hopes and our dreams and, and those things that were, um, you know, were, were kind of like, they were the, they were the things that brought us together in the first place. And sometimes that stuff gets crowded out. Um, like anything, anything that you would want to share or feel comfortable sharing about, like how, how have you and Ashley found success? Um, or how have you, you know, how have you negotiated, um, like not losing each other in the middle of what's really busy with three kids and, you know, traveling the world, doing orphan care and all the stuff. Like how, how have you kept that, that really life-giving conversation um, like real and, and active in, in your marriage? Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly really hard to continually do. Um, you know, because life is busy and you, you, you get busy and, and you avoid making that time to really connect as, as humans and as people. Um, you know, I think the hardest thing in any relationship, right, is to, to make a relationship more about a part as a partnership. Yeah. You're, you're, you're partners, but you're also in a relationship that's, that's, meld together by mutual love and respect, admiration. Um, and so I, I think as hard as it is finding those times to connect relationally and not just, Hey, I got a, I got a, I got a to-do list or I got a list of things we got to decide or, you know, Hey, who's going to run uh, the girls to ballet or, or how are we going to do this? Or how many tickets do we need? Or, or those types of things. But but really trying to reach each other on a heart level. Uh, you know, when we started off, our idea was, you know, a date once a week, even if that meant uh, getting away from the kids or, or sending the, you know, us going to our bedroom uh, and, you know, letting the kids stay outside and we watch a movie and they watch a movie or, um, you know, we have dinner uh, somewhere else in the house and they have dinner somewhere else in the house. Or if that meant actually going out and, you know, there are weeks that, that, that you just, that can't happen um, just because of the schedule or, or I'm out of town. And so what we've really tried to do uh, is make sure that if it's not in person, that there's a phone call um, and, or, you know, uh, just making sure that there's some way to connect, even if that means, 
of course, now we have a 16 year old putting the kids in one car with Kayla, then us going in another car, even if it's just for, for 15 minutes, but, but finding those times to connect um, when it's not about real, it's not about a to-do list. It's not about having to do things, but Hey, how are you doing? Or, Hey, you know what, this, this really is hurt or, and maybe not relationally, but Hey, this is something I'm struggling with, or this is something, you know, that I, I really want to bring to your attention. And, and those things are, are great. I, I think, you know, one of the, the books that, that I read that was so good. And of course I'm going to butcher the title and not remember who wrote it. Um, I do remember who wrote it. It was Kevin DeYoung. And it was, uh, it was basically continue to date your wife. Um, that's not the title, but if you look for date wife by Kevin DeYoung, and it was just incredibly practical with information about how to continue to date your wife and how to continue to seek her heart, uh, how to continue to pursue her, even when you're busy with real life and when you're busy with, with kids schedules and you're busy with work and you're busy with everything else that tries to capture our time. And I really think going back to the moment of, of what led you, what attracted you to your spouse and cultivating those things in your relationship. Uh, you know, when you were dating and you thought marriage would be just getting to spend this endless, boundless time together, you start to realize that when you were dating, you were intentional. You had to be intentional about setting that, that time aside. And so that intentionality is just, it's just priceless and it's important. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that, and we talk with our social workers here about this as well, but I think the message sometimes that we send in, in adoption is like, you have to be so available and you have to be so, so accessible to your kids because of those challenges that come because you weren't always there with them. And, and because you're really trying to work to build, you know, this bonding and attachment that we, that we forget to have that intentionality about our spouse because we're being so intentional about our kids. And, and that's not, that's not given just to adoptive families. That may be the family that's struggling with travel baseball or, you know, whatever else. I mean, there are a lot of things that can get in the way. And, and I think the message, as much as we hear a cultural message that says satisfaction can be found outside of marriage. I think we also hear a cultural marriage that says marriage is about your kids. And, and the truth is that that's really not what the Bible says. The marriage is for our kids, and it's, and it's the context in which our kids need to grow and be nurtured and, and be discipled, but our marriage is ultimately for Jesus. And, and it's, and it's how, we're, how we're pouring into one another and how we're pursuing Christ together. And like we can't do that if we're not really alone and together and, and, and having, you know, like having that, that level of intimacy. And so, I mean, some of the things we kind of learned along the way, like, I mean, and I know you guys are kind of the same way in this, like we want to have some things that we love to do together um, that don't necessarily involve our kids always. Like we, you know, we want to have some things that we enjoy and some things that we, and that's, that's not to say that we're like running, you know, footloose and fancy free without our kids. Um, But, but it is to say that we're protecting some time where we're saying, look, we're going to just kind of, um, we're going to do this together because we get to sort of focus on each other and, and just be together and to enjoy each other. And, you know, those kinds of things, um, in, in ways that, um, in ways that we don't have to fracture our attention and be, you know, necessarily focused on our kids. I, I think, um, 
something else that that we kind of have picked up along the way is that um, adding the variables that adoption brings to the table means that sometimes um, our circumstances and the things that we we are walking through are going to shake things loose in our lives that are all not just great. Like it's going to surface things in us about um, our emotions, or it's going to surface things about, you know, our way of looking at the world or whatever. And, and many times what it really is surfacing is it surfacing stuff that just doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus in us that kind of gets put under pressure. And, and so things like, you know, marriage retreats and marriage experiences and, and even, you know, counseling are things that sometimes people are a little squeamish about thinking about those things. And I, I would just say that's something just to plan on. And, and that's not because necessarily you're just, you know, super unhealthy. It's, it's because it's because they're, you know, the stresses and the strains of life at times are going to bubble things up to the surface and, and, you know, you're going to like, you're going to need to work through those things. And sometimes having somebody help is not, you know, is, is not a, a bad thing. And and then maybe like the final thing to just kind of put a, a period on this conversation would be, um, you know, in this part of, part of being accessible to your wife or being accessible to your husband is, is making sure that you're both in a place where, you're cared for and, and, and sort of where, so, so how can you help? Well, you can help by, by serving your spouse, giving them, you know, the opportunity to have some downtime, giving them an opportunity to, you know, have something to look forward to. That's just kind of, you know, we, we think of self-sacrifice in this and that's true, but, but it's all, it's also all okay for us to like create a place where, where our spouse feels pampered or where they feel, you know, sort of preferred or, or loved or esteemed or whatever, because, because we want them to know that we feel about them that way as well. We're like, we're thankful for, you know, the, the, the gift that God's given us in them and, and we honor it that way. And, and I think maybe the, maybe the last thing I would, I would say, Herbie, as we're kind of winding up is sometimes the, the hardest, um, the journey of parenting is not always easy. The, the journey of adoptive parenting is certainly not always easy. And, and, and sometimes it's hard to, in the moment, appreciate when, when good things are happening and where you're gaining ground. And so one of the things I would just recommend to couples, and, and this is not something to do maybe with your kids and your whole family, but I think privately is when, when you see growth and when you see something happen and see the Lord do something, um, kind of do what the children of Israel did and what God, what God told them over and over to do, which is um, to build an altar and, and worship. So like, thank the Lord for the fact that there's, that, that something's happened and you've been able to take a step in your family and do something to kind of mark that. So you don't forget it. Um, because the part of the deal of building an altar in the old Testament was always like, I mean, all, they were like piling stones up in things. Like it wasn't like they were building these, you know, elaborate cathedrals. They were piling up a pile of rocks. And but why? It was so that every time they went by the, that pile of rocks, they they wouldn't forget um, that God had done something for them, and and that and that God was with them, and and He hadn't left them, and He was still present. And and so, um, 
you know, celebrate the small things. I mean, I remember, and this sounds really silly, and I won't tell you which one of our kids, although our daughter would want for me to tell you that it wasn't her. Um, but one of our, one of our kids, um, like went three days in a row without wetting the bed. And, and it was like, um, and, and like, I literally remember us like having, uh, like a moment and like a piece of cake and kind of laughing with each other and going, like, we feel like we need to celebrate here and, and kind of build building an altar in that moment. And that sounds really weird probably to some people, but, but like the truth is when, when we've been struggling so hard against some of those things that, that were, were deep and scarred in the lives of our kids, when we saw, when we saw the Lord do something, um, we, like we just, we, we didn't want to just pass by it. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to enjoy it and enjoy it together. And, and it's funny how much we've been able to look back over the years and look back to those moments of celebration in times when things have been really tough. Um, that the Lord kind of gives us the resolve to say, you know what, I'm with you and, and I'm, and I'm going to provide for you. And that's, that's drawn us closer to him. But the truth is it's also really drawn us closer together. Amen. What, what, what great wisdom. And uh, even as we started, this can always count from that wisdom from Dr. Rick and, <laughs> Uh, and I, I, quite honestly, that's why we call him Dr. Rick. He's a Christian Dr. Phil. Always that wisdom. Uh, thanks for joining us again for the Defender Podcast. And, you know, we want to continue even to talk through uh, ways that, that we can, can be drawn towards love for one another um, and love for each other as we go through this month of February. And we look forward to next week that you will join us for the Defender Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. Defender Podcast.